This is Episode 9 of You Can't Go Wrong. More stories from Nero, New York, from my book, which was published in the year 2000. We'll hear about a motion picture that was really set in uh, upstate New York, starring Paul Newman. We'll talk about negativity in Nero. Do you remember all the hubbub about when uh, we turned the calendar to the year 2000? It's a little out of date, but we'll have that story as well. Plus, we have a story about politicians, and the politicians we were writing about back then included Al Gore. Now, more stories from Nero, New York. Life in a northern town. Our most endearing trait is how we still take care of each other. The 1995 movie Nobody's Fool, starring Paul Newman, put our kind of upstate New York on the motion picture map. The movie is based on a novel by Gloversville native Richard Russo. You can tell that Russo has lived around here. Famed theatrical designer Joseph Elisi, an Amsterdam native, did the costumes, maybe from memory. People in Boston Spa suspect the movie's fictional setting of North Bath is meant to be Boston Spa. The movie's scenes were shot in the Hudson Valley, Fishkill, Beacon, Hudson, Poughkeepsie. It's hard to tell where the crowd of the Cinema 4 and Nero left off and the movie began, said my old friend Disease Cotter when he and I met for a shot and a beer at the Four Clover on the Saturday after he saw the movie. Disease continued, People in that movie wore jackets like what I've worn, drank in bars and ate in diners like the ones I go to, and they like to gamble just like I do. And how about all the buildings in that movie with asphalt siding? Asphalt siding to cover a rotting interior with a new exterior that isn't even pretty kind of symbolizes Nero's problems. We can't discard the bad parts of the past. We just cover them up with something that's even uglier. One asphalt siding kind of scheme in the movie was the rich people trying to open a theme park that you knew had odds of success worse than winning the trifecta, Disease said. Every so often, some idea like that comes along in Nero, but makes us think we're somehow on our way back, but it hasn't happened yet. My favorite character in the movie was that seedy and goofy construction guy, Rub. Rub? Partly because of his funny nickname, like, like me. The way Rub asked questions and hung on to the Paul Newman character reminded me of guys I've known. Old friends are a little strange, but they're the best. The movie made me appreciate some of the good things we have. Funny things happen here, like the nude poker game in the movie. You have to laugh, as the saying goes. We have lost jobs and lost hope in Nero. We sometimes forget that our most endearing trait is how we still take care of each other. Even if we play jokes on each other, insult each other, don't always like each other, we're usually ready to lend a hand. There's a saying in Nero that there's always a deal. You'll find mean people aplenty in Nero, but there's usually somebody who will give you a break. Like the Paul Newman character in Nobody's Fool, talking the old woman out of walking in slippers through the snow. Living in Nero can get you down sometime. Nobody's fool makes you realize that our way of life has its nobility. Nero negativity is reflected in a national poll. Ducey is too optimistic for Nero politics. The negative mindset of Nero may be taking hold on a national scale. In fact, Nero's well-known negativity may be the real reason a popular Schenectady politician will choose not to run for mayor of Nero, a fictional upstate mill town. A May 1999 poll has found a new American pessimism linked to war in Serbia, killings of high school students in Colorado. In Nero, the war touched off numerous arguments. No less an authority on modern warfare than the local newspaper, the Nero Nation, editorialized against the NATO bombing campaign as soon as it began for the campaign's lack of positive results. The shootings in Colorado have contributed to unease at Nero High School, even at the Keep Them Under Central School High School in the prosperous suburbs, 
where teachers have been warily scanning their charges with their baggy pants, facial jewelry, and backwards hats for signs of stress. Nero's anxious mindset is now more typical of America, according to Washington-based pollster Celinda Lake. She told reporters that nine of ten participants in recent focus groups in various cities used words such as depressed, disappointed, anxious, and confused to describe their assessment of the nation's present and future. Nero, the former sock-making capital of the world, has been a depressed city for decades. It has been the scene of many disappointments, from the failed 1970 Socks Museum to the new big-box stores that are built on swampland and prone to flooding. Anxiety is a Nero birthright. Even when times are good, a person from Nero constantly worries his own personal unlucky number is about to be announced by some celestial bingo caller. No one in Nero believes anything good will ever happen again. Confusion, too, is commonplace in Nero, as evidenced by the old Milltown saying, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, recently used by the movers and shakers when considering the suggestion that Schenectady's Frank Ducey should run for mayor of Nero. A Ducey mayoral candidacy in Nero was suggested, perhaps facetiously, by Louis Carousella in a letter to the Daily Gazette. One of those exulting in the idea was Nero Nation columnist Don Lasac, who wrote, I say to the idea of a Ducey candidacy in Nero, in the words of that great American, George Herbert Walker Bush, let's get it on. Nero's politicians were more sorrowful, knowing that Ducey could campaign circles around any of them. However, wiser heads in the political camps eventually prevailed, making two important points. Number one, Frank Ducey would never abandon Schenectady to run for office in Nero. Ducey's roots are in Schenectady, as are his friends and relatives. Number two, Frank Ducey is much too optimistic for the people of Nero. I remember when Frank wanted to bring the Emmys to Schenectady. That's an idea from an optimistic man, my old friend Disease Cotter said as we enjoyed a huge order of French toast at the recently refurbished Creek Diner, one of the first commercial beachheads of Nero's new immigrants. Disease continued, Frank is too much the positive thinker to get enough votes to win a citywide election in Nero. Remember when he wanted to buy lottery tickets to help Schenectady? With our luck in Nero, we know that wouldn't work. As much as I would love to have the guy knocking on my door for votes, I think Frank Ducey would do us all a favor if he ran for office in Schenectady, where the people, except maybe the current mayor and some of the pals in his own party, really appreciate him. Anxiety over Y2K unsettles the good people of Nero. You're blamed if you do, and you're blamed if you don't. Radio talk show host and computer expert Kim Commando attributes media fixation on computer problems disrupting life in the year 2000 to the idea that fear, along with greed and sex, are time-tested audience builders. At least for the media, fear can be good for business. Franklin D. Roosevelt told Americans in 1933 that they had nothing to fear but fear itself. That was a wise, although partly disingenuous, comment, given that many Americans then were fearful because of real poverty and real hunger. Dread and anxiety have dominated the thinking of Nero residents since the Depression and the events that followed war, deindustrialization, and ongoing ethnic rivalries. What I've been doing is putting aside 20 bucks each week in cash for Y2K, said Disease Cotter, my old friend and retired Nero mill worker. By the end of the year, I'll have maybe $500. That'll probably tide me over, unless my Social Security gets messed up. Some older Nero residents routinely stash cash in secure home hiding places, a legacy of fear from bank failures in the Depression. Disease discussed the Y2K dilemma while we enjoyed late summer dishes of peach pistachio ice cream at the Cream and Cone, just outside Nero, where owner Harvey Wadnami makes his own ice cream. Remarkably, peach pistachio is the house specialty. 
Disease continued, I'm stocking up on bottled water. I buy it anyway because the water here is so putrid. I figure I'll have 40, 50 gallons stashed by the end of the year. I don't know why I like this peach pistachio so much. It is a weird combination. I won't buy any ice cream at the end of the year in case the power goes, but I'm getting in some peanut butter, saltines, canned stuff, maybe two or three cans of gasoline for my generator. Hey, Harvey, I hope your ice cream machine is Y2K compliant. I'd hate to be stuck without my peach pistachio next summer. You bet my ice cream maker is Y2K compliant, Harvey shouted from the back room, with probably more real conviction than government and industry officials have been able to communicate on Y2K compliance. Talk show host Mike Van Wilson was sputtering on his WNRO radio program by now, which we could hear on the old radio behind the counter at the cream and comb. You people should make sure you and yours can get by on your own for a few days in the year 2000, Mike said. But this Y2K problem should be blamed on one man. The first prevaricator, President Two-Faced, the philandering husband of the woman whose election to the U.S. Senate will set this state on the road to liberal lunacy. Where has Bill Clinton been for the past eight years as the clock has ticked closer and closer to the year 2000? You know where he's been, and you know what he's been doing. When your power is off in January, when your blessed government checks don't come in the mail, remember to blame Bill Clinton and vote for George W. Bush. Although Mike's last statement would become the promotional announcement for the next show, several callers hijacked the program for Mike's anti-Clinton diatribe into a typically neuroesque fixation on worrying about every imaginable calamity. One caller said, People are going to be robbed. That's the real problem. People stashing money and food and generators and gasoline at home, they're going to be victimized. Mark my words, Mike, there's going to be a rash of burglaries before year 2000. The cops will have to do something about it. We'll have to spend our tax dollars protecting these hoarders. In Nero, you're blamed if you do and blamed if you don't. Ignored by Gore, why top politicians ignore Nero. When Vice President Al Gore toured Amsterdam and Fulton County in a display of compassion for upstate New York in an effort to garner votes for his presidential campaign, the movers and shakers in Nero responded, typical, we've been ignored again. Nero is a fictional upstate mill town on the Keep Them Under Creek, where the better days ended when the sock mills closed shortly after the Eisenhower administration. Al Gore may be dull, and as Senator Moynihan says, he may be unelectable, wrote Don LeSock in a recent column in the Nero Nation. However, Gore knows better than to waste his time with a trip to this armpit of the nation. Why didn't he come here? Don continued. First, he couldn't find Nero. I don't blame him. Most out-of-town politicians get lost on their way to this burg. Second, he couldn't pronounce or spell keep them under. That would have made him a laughing stock on the talk shows. Third, he couldn't announce a federal grant here because our politicians can't agree on anything. We haven't come up with an idea for a federal grant since the days of LBJ when we got federal money to put up the stupid sock museum. Don's at it again, running down Nero in his column, making life tough for me and my boss, groused Wanda Tamburino, the constituent problem fixer for Nero's popular congressman, as we met for a drink at the Four Clover Tavern. Wanda knows Nero's negativity at first hand, having listened to many tales of woe, some of which are even true. She continued, Of course the congressman tried to get the vice president here. We got the usual runaround about scheduling and demographics. We're out of step in Nero in terms of what politicians want. For Gore, and for Hillary even, we don't have enough soccer moms. We can't turn out those 30-something women with the vans and the SUVs who, who might be willing to vote if they think the candidate's going to spend more money on education. It's almost enough to make you want to become a Republican, but I don't think George W. Bush is going to come here either. For example, can you imagine someone in Nero wanting to start a charter school? 
If we could have come up with some kind of announcement for the vice president to make, maybe he would have risked a trip to Nero. But it was typical. We couldn't get the locals to agree. I wanted to get a grant to rehab an abandoned mill for a community center. But the old guard was afraid it might help the new immigrants, and who wants to help them, they said. The mayor was for it, so the president of the city council was against it. Then the paper found out my brother-in-law was in the running to be subcontractor for the air conditioning, and that didn't look right. It's a small city. Can I help it? My sister's husband has to make a living. Sometimes Wanda pays a price for being well-connected in two ethnic communities. I wish I lived in Amsterdam, Wanda said, as she signaled Stan the bartender for another sombrero. Even though they make their share of mistakes, people in Amsterdam keep trying new things. Building a community center, putting up a museum, publishing a new paper, starting a band, even constructing that substantial footbridge that goes from the mall to the river for some reason. You have to hand it to the people in Amsterdam, she said. They're still in the game. In Nero, we've thrown in the towel. Hope you enjoyed Episode 9, and be watching, and please go to Episode 10 of You Can't Go Wrong.